Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi there, I'm Yilmaz Erciyes, Chief Marketing Officer at Premier Foods, which is one of the main branded food businesses in the UK, is also part of FTSE 250. I lead uh, marketing, innovation, R&D and consumer insights uh, of the company. And it's my huge pleasure to welcome you to this series of Inspiring Leadership podcast with Jonathan Bowen Perks. And I'm handing you over to Jonathan. Thank you very much indeed, Yilmaz. It's great to have you on the series. You and I met through the Marketing Academy, which uh, is a great organization working with lots of CMOs and people in the marketing sphere. Uh, and it's a real pleasure to have you on this series. Uh, and particularly as we've done some coaching together, you and I, we've really found, I found quite a bond with you. We've shared many stories about health, well-being, food, nutrition. Um, and I think it would be very interesting for people to hear your story. I think you have a fascinating story. Uh, and also we can talk about these various topics. So, so firstly, tell us a bit more about what you do in, in that crucial marketing function within such a an uh, important FTSE 250 company like Premier Foods. Yes. Um, as, as I've introduced, uh, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer, uh, Johnson, and I have this uh, position since 2019. So my remit is I'm responsible, obviously, for marketing, but the product development, innovation, R&D function, consumer insight uh, is part of my, part of my remit. And uh, what we do is uh, create, I mean, we have the pleasure to own some of nation's favorite brands in the UK. Yeah, give us a few, mention a few um, of them. Uh, for example, our, what, our biggest brand is Mr. Kipling, which is mm -hmm. a cake brand, uh, which uh, is actually has, we measure the scale and size of a brand with the household penetration, right? So it has uh, about 55% household penetration in the UK, which means uh, more than one in two homes in the UK at least buy one pack of Mr. Kipling a year. So it has a huge reach. And we have many of those brands, similar brands like Pisto, Oxo, uh, Lloyd Grossman, Ambrosia. And when you look at our branded portfolio, we reach about 95% of UK households. So a massive, a massive reach. And it's, it's, a, it's a great company to work for. So I've joined Premier Foods about seven years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Uh, as one of the uh, leaders and leading one of the five main categories the company operates in. Uh, and in 2018, then I got promoted to become the marketing director for the UK business. And 2019, uh, I've had my current role which fantastic. is fantastic fantastic and and you have a great like we've discussed many times have a great interest in leadership and developing to become the best leader you can be but the, the man we see today is the leader you are who shaped you and what what life experiences do you have from from a very early age what were what were the people and what were the events that shaped you tell us a little bit about your your sort of life story in perhaps about five ten minutes Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I was born in Turkey, so um, I was born and raised in Turkey. Uh, I, 
I consider myself one of those people who who had the lucky ticket for the ovarian lottery that uh, and born into really uh, nice family. And my mother actually has been a huge influence on me. So um, she's been actually the main breadwinner. And when I was growing up, this is going back to uh, 40 years, right? And the equity, diversity, inclusion wasn't a big thing, especially not at all in a developing country like Turkey. But my mother was the, was the main uh, breadwinner. She, uh, she was working. She was a working mom. And when I reflect back on my life story, actually, she's instilled some of my values that I still hold. Um, mm. So she's been a huge influence. Oh, what was what was she doing on us in in Turkey? Uh, and she uh, she's just retired actually three years ago. But she's been uh, she uh, she was a, um, a medical a professor. Uh, she was working in at the last part of her career in one of the biggest university hospitals in Turkey, uh, in the northeastern part of Turkey. Mm. And she was heading up the intensive care unit, uh, and she was a doctor who was wow. a doctor, a professor. So uh, she had a brilliant career, uh, but also she taught me a lot about integrity and doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and father, did father um, influence you in any particular way? What were his values that he instilled on you? Yes. I mean, uh, probably I'm a really interesting combination of both. Uh, and he, he was an entrepreneur. Uh, he worked um, at the... Um, probably until he was uh, early 50s and I was born when I was born he was uh, already early 40s so and and then uh, with my mom's job and we had to travel around the country uh, he was he wasn't working but that entrepreneurial spirit and wearing his heart on his sleeve is probably coming a little bit influencing me uh, in my profile as well. Yeah, and, and so fascinating, the, the influence of mother, because I, I relate to that when we've talked and you shared your life story with me um, some, some weeks ago. Um, my mother was very influenced, obviously, because my father's a fast jet pilot was killed when I was two and a half. Uh, he was killed flying. So she was the great influence on me and my values are very influenced by uh, a mother figure. And I think often people underestimate the power of a, of a powerful female leader in whatever they do, whatever role they have, but the influence they have will last a lifetime. After that stage, how do we get to you being CMO at Premier Foods? What, what were a few of the key stepping stones and things that shaped you and you learned about leadership on the way? Yeah, I think, as I said, I grew up in Turkey, uh, studied my university in Turkey, and I've done a, a year of stint in the US, but probably my first step into uh, professional life was with uh, Procter & Gamble. So I've got an internship. And interestingly, I always wanted to continue in the academia. I was never interested in, uh, in industry, per se, uh, because another one of my other values are lifelong learning. And I'm coming from a family of teachers and academics, uh, as I told about my mom, and it goes to my grandfather, uh, my uncles, they're all in, in teaching. But I had an internship with uh, Procter & Gamble because uh, I, uh, they were offering internships in Europe, in their technical center. I'd never been into uh, Europe before. I've been into US. And they were actually paying a really good uh, 
salaries as well for their interns, which is not very usual. Um, and I always had this dream of buying a Fender Stratocaster electric guitar, which was which was very pricey. I still remember it was more than a thousand dollars, which was a huge sum for me. I said, you know what? I'll take this internship. I'll see a country I haven't seen. And also I'll make a bit more money than I can buy my electric guitar that I've been dreaming of for years. And then that's how I started. And when and did I, you like, buy the guitar? Did you buy the guitar? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> I know you're still playing. You're still playing. Yes, I, I, I still play play a little bit. Uh, and that, that is one of the, we, I mean, we have a piano, an acoustic guitar, a couple of other, the electric drum. But that electric guitar is one that the kids are not allowed to touch yet. So I have a nine and a seven years old. So that's still cherished. Well, that's really interesting. There's a lovely guy we had on Larry English who wrote a book, Office Optional. Uh, and in it, he's talked about the 1,200 people who work in his company, uh, Centrix uh, Consulting. And they come together about two or three times a year, bring their partners, um, fly into a place in America, uh, and they also have a band. And the band comes together and plays on those events, but they never meet each other beforehand. I wonder if you could perhaps for Premier Food set up a band and, yeah. and then it, it could play at one of your big events. How about that with you on guitar or something? That's your, yeah, challenge. Exactly. That's your challenge. Indeed, it's a good one. Yeah. OK, that's that's great. And um, let's look at um, the, the, the highs and lows, because, I mean, great experience, Potter and Gamble. Uh, yes. And. and and just like me getting into the British Army, it was a very difficult thing to get into. But once you were into it as an army officer, the training and development was superb. And I think it's the same at Procter & Gamble. Getting into Procter & Gamble, a lot of people want to, but very few get in. Yeah. What was When you did it, what was the selection process like and, and, and why did they choose you? Yeah, and, and as I said, I went through the internship and there is the Procter & Gamble. One of the streams is via internship programs. So I was selected uh, for an internship program. I started uh, in Belgium uh, and uh, I had a three-month summer internship uh, on actually working in engineering function in one of their manufacturing plants. And I just loved it. I mean, it was the, the as you, exactly as you said, the focus of the company on people development, leadership development, and also overall, I mean, there is one of the values of the PNG is the interest of the individual and the company are inseparable, yeah. right? which I thought it's very unusual. Yes. And, uh, one of the uh, iconic CEOs uh, of PNG many decades ago said, if you totally, completely take out everything the PNG owns and just leave the brands and the people, we will rebuild the entire company in 10 years. Wow. That, that's the type of motto and focus of the brands and the people that really resonated with me. Yeah. And there's no doubt that, you know, just like I've got uh, General Lord Dana, who uh, I'm really chuffed is going to be on one of the podcasts and, and he was very influential to me. He was my commanding officer. I was one of the company commanders and, and I've never forgotten what I learned from him years later, 20 years or more later. Um, did you take the good learning from Procter and Gamble and have you been using that in Premier Foods for the way you lead your own people? Is there any couple of things you want to say about your own style that you still use, which were good values you learned from P&G? Exactly. And I think, I mean, the Premier Foods 
uh, story is also a very interesting one because the company hasn't been doing well for a very long time, uh, especially. And when I joined, there was a really exciting vision on the company for the, some of the new leaders just joined the company, which is our current CEO, Alex Whitehouse, uh, etc. And I met them. And But the vision was return around the company based on brand building and innovation and having the right people and creating the right culture. You know, that focus of PNG or brands and people, I've seen actually, although the Premier Foods, when I joined, was nowhere near that, there was that exciting vision, right? And that really attracted me. And as I said, I joined as one of the directors. And as we started turning around the company, this has exactly been by focusing on uh, the brand, brand building, innovating, and also get to putting in place the right culture by evolving the existing organization, but also by bringing uh, new blood into the, into the company. And ever since, and now, I mean, we've successfully turned around. If you look at our stock price, if that's one of the measures of a success of a company, we've quadrupled it since uh, the pre, pre-COVID levels. So, uh, and when you look, the, the focus that we have, and I have certainly with my team is, whatever happens, for example, on the people development, during COVID, when uh, we were not sure about the, the uncertainty and investment required, obviously we've made enormous amount of investment to make sure all our colleagues, especially manufacturing colleagues are safe, uh, right? To be able to keep operating, uh, but, uh, those took a lot of investment, but on top, we continued our learning and development programs, our academies, right? Yeah, so that- I, I, I just want to bring up a point on that, uh, Yilmaz. I'm really pleased you did that because I was disappointed and it, it would be uh, unfair to name the companies. But there's a couple of sort of top branded FTSE companies and professional services, accounting and professional services firms where I was coaching in there. And when the pandemic started, they went, stop, whatever you're doing coaching development stop right there I said but, but we've just got a couple of sessions left I'll yeah. do it for free no stop what you're doing no more you know bang the door closed on development and I just thought this is so short term that at the moment of a crisis they pulled the plug on developing their people one of those people was was really had been through a battering with a person that they'd uh, you know difficult circumstances they'd been in put it that way and needed this support. And they were not going to carry on with that. And I thought that's a really bad message. So the fact that Premier Foods did invest in people and their safety, I think, is, is a great credit to, to you and to them. Let's go on to my next question, which is really linked to this. Um, in your life, what have been the proudest moments or mm-hmm. proudest moment and, and a most difficult dark moment professionally or personally? And what did you learn from each of those two imposters? Exactly. I think it's a good question, Jonathan. And if I'm honest, reflecting on especially what you've learned, peace, interestingly, obviously I have many proud moments in my career and it's always having to do with teams or people achieving some really big, exciting visions and goals. But if you ask me, when were the moments that I've learned the most? Interestingly, it turns out Actually, they are the more difficult moments, right? And I know if you look 
around, especially with the rise of entrepreneurism, uh, there is a lot of talk about, you know, you need to, failure is part of life. You need to dust yourself up and keep going. Uh, I think it's absolutely right. You shouldn't get stuck on failure. But I, I, I'd like to offer a different thought because it's at least for myself, yes, when I fail, I tend to not uh, let that drag me down for long. But actually, the biggest learnings about myself I recognize has happened throughout those either failures or I found myself in a place or an environment that didn't really suit me. And it really takes, yes, you need to dust yourself and move on. But I think you really need to explore, peel the layers of the onion, if you like, to really get to the nub of what's that key learning and how can I grow out of it? And usually I took two, two things, right? Either it becomes, look, I've discovered something about me that I want to work on and get to better self of me, or I've discovered something about me in conjunction with that environment I'm in, and I realize that's not the right environment for me, and I really need to pivot. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a very insightful comment you make about what is the right environment for you and what's the wrong environment for you. And when things work out that you take personal ownership, it was you that did it. You can't blame it on someone else on the environment. But what did you learn and how can you improve yourself? And, yeah. and looking back again in the with the aspect of learning. To the younger Ilmaz, when you were just starting out, knowing what you know now at the age of 43, if you went back and met the 16 year old version of you or anybody who's quite young, what would you say are like the most important things from your perspective that worked for you and the things that you just shouldn't worry about? Uh, I think what I would say to myself, especially starting uh, his career is, I, I would say, really invest in broader relationships. I think it took me a while to learn the importance of broader relationship. And I mean, network is probably an overused word, but I tended to see, I was really a lot more results oriented and obsessed with efficiency. It was always my mind would go on, if this is what I'm trying to achieve, what's the quickest, most efficient way that I can achieve with using less resources, even taking less of people's time, right? And that takes you down a path of certain relationship and probably very focused relationship with your immediate team. Mm. However, I think if I was doing all over again, probably I would, from a relationship building point, have broadened my horizon a lot more. Probably that, that's one top tip I would yeah. keep. And yeah. then things, the things that, another thing I would say is, you know, in life, there is, there is never a straight line from A to B, right? And everyone has their own paths and uh, different ways so uh, I don't think I've ever been obsessed about going to A to B is the, the fastest time etc so I, I always had that sense of calmness but uh, I think probably that's another thing 
Mm, yeah, so, I, I think it's really good. And, and that it getting from A to B in the way that works for you. And I, I still remember Colin Powell's book and I think he called it, it worked for me. And, and that just because it works for you doesn't mean it works for someone else. And, and that there's that old uh, Christian saying, which is that treat your neighbor as yourself. Well, actually, no, treat your neighbor as your neighbor wants to be treated and not as, not as you'd like to be treated. Got to find out what works for them. Uh, let's go around the inspiring leadership compass with the eight components and, and just hear what your tips are in, in each of those areas. The, the first one, which is true north at the very top of the compass in the inspiring leadership model that we use and uh, is used in, in people's psychometrics is moral quotient. So your integrity, your values, your principles. Mm -hmm. With a strong mother like you had, who, who really was a role model and, and, a, and, a, and a trendsetter and breaking the mold, what would you say your top three principles and values that you still live by that were perhaps shaped from those days? Yeah, I think I have three core values that are that I try to that I live with, not even try, but it, it's integral parts of me, right? And uh, one is ownership, one is continuous learning, and the other, the, the the third one is the integrity, really doing the right thing for the thing about the broader good versus narrow interests. And as you highlighted, that integrity was instilled in me uh, observing my mother because uh, she was unusual in many ways. One is obviously she was the working mother, main breadwinner. Uh, she had a successful career in academia, but also she had a, an unusual set of beliefs that might not have been very popular in Turkey. Obviously, Turkey is a secular country, uh, but um, over the years, especially the last maybe two decades, the importance of uh, religious belief has, has increased and the impact of it in many parts of life and even uh, in the professional life of individuals has, has increased. But my, my mother is a vocal atheist, which is very unusual. And she was highly, and she was working in a, a universal hospital, which is a government body, right? There's some of the assignments, attainments are, are, are done by government. And obviously you, you, can, you can imagine the mismatch of those two things, the belief in, uh, and the, the, uh, the political uh, environment, the political context. But the thing is she was very well respected, highly respected, by her colleagues from all walks of life. You know, they would embrace her. And when I asked, like, how come does that happen in a context like that? And it comes down to, because she was always, she had very strong North Stars of hers, which was treating the patients, doing the best, best possible service, uh, right? And also uh, educating and preparing the next generation of doctors so she was really, all her actions was guided by how can she do the best for those two things? How can she serve people who are ill and how can she build the next generation of doctors? Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and so that was the integrity of doing it the right thing, best for service, educating others, um, being an atheist rather than uh, as was expected to be a Muslim like everybody else in, in her faith. Uh, and that she was the main breadwinner. 
And then you also mentioned ownership and continuous learning. Continuous learning is something you and I have talked a lot about, but ownership is very interesting. Jeff Nishwitz, uh, another friend of mine who's been on the podcast, he talked about he was disappointed to see a CEO who was being uh, called out for some emails which had been, I think, stolen from her, in which she was horrible to a member of her staff. And she said, that wasn't me. You know, I'm sorry, and I apologize, but that wasn't me. Well, that's not taking ownership. You know, it, it was her. She wrote them. That was her. Okay, it wasn't exactly how she'd like to be remembered and seen, but that was her. And so I wonder what ownership means to you and whether that story has any resonance for you about how you don't want to be as opposed to how you do want to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think it's interesting. We talked about how uh, some adverse situations help me understand myself at my biggest learnings. And it's interesting that ownership crystallized in my mind as one of my values um, maybe about three, four years ago. And mm. that's and I was reflecting on my career because as you said, I mean I so far I've worked on only two companies, about 13, 14 years in PNG, Procter and Gamble, and Premier Foods. And they are very different companies from a scale complexity. And on in PNG, when I reflect on my career, there were times when I was on, on my A game, right? I was literally on my A game. I mean, I had a really good career. I, I was good rated all the time, but there were times that, that I was on, on my A game. There were times where I was good, but I knew that I wasn't giving my best and I could. And when I tried to decode those two things, interestingly, it turns out when I was on my A game, I was in teams and groups or businesses with very high growth, less matrix, very entrepreneur, very agile. Mm. Right? For example, my home care, which is what is called home care, and if you look at my career, I had the fortune of introducing some of the brands in new categories, like, for example, Febreze. I love Febreze. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a brilliant brand, wonderful product, with superior product at the heart of it. It lies a really technical, technological uh, advantage that delights consumers. And my first brand manager job was take that lovely brand in Europe from being just fabric spray, a very limited use, and make it an air freshener brand, which was a, a category more than the size of billion, billion dollars in Europe. Right? So my, it's and, in my room now. I'm one of your. Pro, I'm yeah, one of those users. Exactly. And when I reflect on that, it was a, a exciting vision, very bold vision against some very tough competitive uh, benchmark. But my job was lead the team to establish for reason the air fresheners category. And interestingly, you know, I moved the business from 50 million pounds revenue to almost half a billion revenue in three and a half years. And the thing, the experience, the excitement during that time, that feeling of ownership, not having that matrix uh, organization at the back to deal with was very, it really drove out my best performance. Yeah, and, and I think... Uh... It's a really good point. Too many of the big organizations I've worked with, some of the big banks and others, have very matrixed organization. And I come from the British Army where there is one commander. I'm in command. And when that person's injured or killed, the next person goes, I have command. And they take over. And they, everybody knows that they have ownership. 
for, for the success or for the failure. And they don't look for somebody else to blame. They accept responsibility. So I love that point. Let's exactly. go from that onto from MQ onto PQ, the second of the one, which is about um, why you do what you do, your dharma, your vocation, your calling. What gives your life meaning and purpose? What what comes up in tips about this? Yeah, I think um, I mean you wouldn't be surprised when when I describe you what really drives me that big vision, big uh, goal to go after. And therefore, really, if I reflect, condense my purpose, what really drives me is really inspiring, enriching growth stories, right, in peoples, in businesses, in teams that are really worth telling your grandchildren about. Mm, you know, when, when you get to that 80 years of age, if we all have the fortune to get there, when you reflect back, a lot of the detail really fizzles out and some really meaningful big growth stories are left. Yeah. Either growing people, growing businesses. When you're doing, I mean, I've talked about the Febreze, right? I, uh, it was 15 years ago. I was leading a small team of four and we are still in touch with them, right? We have a WhatsApp group. We, I mean, it is because that time was magical, that explosive growth. We have many experiences of that now we're building in premier foods you know, going into new categories and achieving really disproportionate growth and that's the growth is really drives me and the growth growth in people growth in businesses and that's that's really my my main purpose and that's what what motivates me. yeah and, and, and i love that story and and i've just been back to a reunion of my uh, cadets at santos who who i was instructed to them 31 years ago and we went to old college and it was a lovely dinner. We were all there in, in, in black tie. It was really special to see what people have done with their lives and, and where they've gone. And, and everybody has a story to tell and everybody has something. And, and I look back at some of the proudest moments and they're when I've been part of something which is really successful and about growth and development of people like developing leaders uh, of the future. Thank you for that. Now on to a, another topic, which is a favorite for you and I, health <laughs> quotient, HQ. Um, you introduced me to, I'm wearing this, uh, this, this ring, this uh, aura ring. You introduced yeah. me to that and you've been using one for three years. Tell us about the aura ring and, and, and how you've used it to have that calmness and balance and, and, and include fitness in your life. Yeah. Um, I mean, as I said, the aura ring, probably the, the quickest way to summarize, it's a Fitbit. It's not a watch because I, I love wearing my other watch, which is a, uh, another meaning uh, for me, uh, which we got with my wife when we got engaged, etc. So we have our each other's name on it. So it's not a watch, but a ring. You know, that's the, that's the thing. And the, the reason, I mean, health, as you and I talk endlessly, right and uh it's interesting the more i you know i i said i i do a lot of reflection about the ad adverse moments and i try to understand why did i find myself in those situations right and many times i realized is when i didn't have that inner calmness and i really uh i didn't i react from that stimulus to reaction there was a very sudden reaction and that's the thing i started to realize and i said okay how can i 
get myself, whatever is happening around, how can I get myself to that inner calmness that I can be fully present and I can choose how I react to a, any situation. It could be having a conversation with an individual in a business situation. And it really came down to when I'm, when my health is, when my energy is at the right level and I'm fully present in a moment, that's when I'm at my best self as a leader. And that's why I'm able to serve much better to my teams. Uh, and that's how I got into that journey of aura ring and really try to analyze what drives that. Yeah, that's really good. And of course, you, you'll by all that, your energy and your calmness, managing your emotions, because we can't control them, we have to better manage them. It's also it links beautifully the mental and the physical health and well-being. They're all intertwined. So have you found during the pandemic that you're able to look after your own mental health and also look after the mental health of the people that you lead in your department within Premier Foods? Yeah, I think uh, on, you're absolutely right. right? And not everyone experiences this pandemic in the same way. Now, I consider myself as one of the lucky ones because I have a family, I have three kids, uh, and one of the positive sides of this has been rather than spend two hours a day on commute, I could spend that time on my exercise and also some extra time with my family. However, as I said, it hasn't, the, the pandemic hasn't been experienced the same by many people. And that's where we've put a lot of effort and attention on constant communication, trying to think about the well-being of, of our colleagues. Obviously, everybody was working from home, but for some individuals who wasn't able to do, we've created the right environment in the office for with the proper social distancing, isolation, etc., that they could still have a very well-balanced uh, balanced life. But as you said, that interaction of physical and mental well-being is enormous and I've, I've really realized that more and more uh, over the past couple of years as I said as I've been reflecting on what are the times that uh, I haven't been by my best self and it always comes down to you know what maybe I haven't looked after my physical well-being so since the pandemic now I'm exercising at least five times a week uh, every morning uh, my sleep is you know I'm pretty religious about it at least seven hours most of the days eight hours of sleep and all that things has been a big change it actually helped me uh, during pandemic I was able to do even more yeah. so than pre I think that's it's very interesting in my own uh, battle with occasional mental health challenges I, I know that I got myself out of the biggest dip ever through health, fitness, and well-being, just like you've done. And I'm going to stick with it now because I know it leads to good mental health as well as good physical health. Thank you for that. Let's go on from health to EQ, emotional and social intelligence. I found you very easy to build rapport. And uh, when uh, our, our mutual friend, Catherine Tulpa, put the two of us together, she matched the two of us. She thought we'd be, be a good team. Uh, me as your coach and you as the, uh, the, the senior executive with a, a lot of great potential. Um, she knew we'd just get on well because you have good emotional and social intelligence. What would be a tip that you've learned over the years you pass on to others that you've picked up on the way and you found it served you well authentically 
for how you get on with other people? Yeah, I think probably me living in, in very different cultures and very different environments really helped, right? Uh, so as I said, I was born in uh, Turkey and grew, grew up there, lived about a year in the US, two and a half years in Belgium, about six years in Switzerland. And uh, now I've been in the UK for more than 10 years. So it really experiencing different cultures and how, how what are those norms helps you broaden, broaden your horizon. That's why I'm also very passionate about diversity and inclusion. And, uh, and if you, even if you look at Premier Foods, it's a very different company now than it was seven years ago when I joined. Probably when I joined, there will be non-British colleagues would be less than the number of two hands. You see what I mean? So um, I think being having exposed to different cultures and different styles helped me. But one of the things that, which I'm by no means mastered at it, but you and I, we, you know, we, uh, we share again passion about Nancy Klein's uh, book about listening, the thinking. Mm. And that I've, I've seen had really helped me. It was an eye-opener. You know, that book about promise I want, uh, the promise that changes everything, which is all about the way you listen, how it, how it really triggers the thinking on the other person. So I, I, was, I was always approaching that. I only listen to understand what they say. But whenever I sometimes phrase, there are moments that you need to listen to really ignite the thinking of the individual because it helps when people talk, it helps their thinking. Is it, it's really completely step change of how I approach my interactions in certain situations with people. It's, it's really good. And I've, I've seen it in you as you've read it and you applied it even in, in our interaction. So, so thank you for that. It makes a difference in our interaction, I know it will be others. So that sense of listening to ignite rather than listening to respond yeah. uh, or, or to reload, as we used to describe it in IBM, people didn't listen to ignite or respond, they listened to reload, get their point back in there. Uh, from EQ, there's the, the next one around the compass is cultural intelligence, CQ, which is about diversity, equality, inclusion, some of the things you've very much talked about because the two are quite inextricably linked. Um, and to have a collective intelligence where people bring in the best from the diverse people who are there. What would be a tip that you'd give about cultural intelligence? I think, as I said, um, I'm, I'm a marketeer, right? And our, as a company, we are responsible for brands that serve 95% of the population in the UK. And, when you look, you, we are serving actually a very diverse group of individuals, diverse communities. And if we, are, if we are to do a brilliant job at that, I think we really need to have that diverse thinking. And that's why I'm really passionate. And it won't come here as a surprise that I'm super passionate about gender equity, equality from working moms. And we spend a lot of thinking and time on how we can 
uh, create opportunities that people can have that even if they are the main breadwinner and looking after children and they, they they could also have a very fulfilling successful careers right that that's that's ingrained because that's how i am here you know yes. that's, having that mother is brought me here therefore i want to pay it forward but obviously equality inclusion diversity has many other facets but there are i'm really passionate about that because yeah. we're serving diverse group of consumers individuals and we need to have that diversity of thought to be able to do that uh, most effectively. Yeah, and that leads uh, so so pertinent, leads us on nicely to the next one, which is resilience quotient. And people who are diverse and different from others have to be very resilient because there's quite a kickback. What have you learned about resilience against adversity and a tip you'd give to other people listening? Yeah, I think... Um, I really, I mean, if I could help in one thing in, in your listeners and people to see, see that adversity in a, in a different way. Obviously, there are some really dramatic things happening in everybody's lives. But as I said, in my case, when I reflect back, really digging deep and trying to decode that adversity, why did I feel that way? What does it teach me? And therefore, I usually take, you know, this is the thing that I need to, then I need to work on. For example, that listening, I'm really passionate about it because I've had a lot of feedback as I was growing up as a leader that when I was interacting with my team, they didn't feel listened. But it was really curious to me. I said, Look, I, I'm pretty sure I can tell you word for word what exactly you said to me in that situation. How can I not be listening if I'm really hearing you and understanding you? But then I understood, actually, you know what? It is not whether I really heard the word that was coming out. It is truly listen to even help them evolve their own thinking through talking, right? Because th that's the thing, and that's why... I really started to get passionate about, and I think you introduced me to Nancy in her book. Uh, when I, it was a big light bulb moment for me. And it comes from some of those feedbacks that you get, some of the situations you find yourself in and you say, you know what, I wasn't my best self in that. And you don't really understand because all you hear is that you're not listening, but you think, look, I'm listening. I can tell you exactly what you said, but that's, that's not the point. So sometimes... Uh, it's again, it's not even listening. Listening to respond is a sin. Listening to understand is also, it's okay, but doesn't unlock every situation. I think the next level is listening to ignite the thinking of the others is the bet. Yeah. That, through that adversity. Yes. And, and actually, there's, there's five levels of listening in some of the models where you listen to yourself because there's a there's a story going on in your head and how you want to come across and what's going on for you so listen to yourself listening to the content of what the other person is saying listen to the context of what they're saying listening to the unsaid what is not said what's missing yeah. uh, what what's between the lines and then finally listening for meaning and then the other thing that triggered in me in what you just said is a lovely quote from one ceo some years ago which i've never forgotten he said people forget what you say 
They forget what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel. Yeah. And, and so if they didn't feel that you listened to them and you saw them and you understood them and their point of view, then you've lost it. You've absolutely lost it. So I even now try and think about a meeting I'm going in at the end of it. How do I want them to feel at the end of this meeting? Not what's the outcome I want, the negotiation I've won, but how do I want them to feel? Because if they feel embittered and very angry, that's that's a short term tactical win. It's not a long term strategic relationship. Um, Quick fire questions now in the final few minutes. Um, brand, which is such a big thing for you, brand, reputation, image, and impact. What would be your top tip to people about personal brand? And then also you're an expert on organizations brand. What would be your yeah. tip on those two? I, I think one of the things with branding is it takes a lot longer to establish. You need to really be cl clear about what you want to stand for. If even as a person, or an organization, or it might even be a single brand product. And you really need to crystallize. Here's what, what I want to stand for. And you really need to work on it week in, week out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out. It takes a very long time to build a brand, right? So probably this is the, this is the thing. Uh, and Sometimes people underestimate the amount of repetition, the time, the consistency you need uh, to, to build a brand. I think that longevity and consistency is, is, is probably the biggest tip that I would give once you crystallize what, what you want to stand for. I love that one. Great. Uh, thank you. Legacy, um, the last one of the eight components of the compass before we go into executive teams and a book and then your top tip. Uh, what would you like your legacy to be in your work and in your life? I think my legacy would be right, linked to my purpose. I would love to, when I start working, I would love to be able to point to a few inspiring, enriching growth stories in teams and people and in businesses. Yeah. And I'd love to be able to have collected that many of those throughout my career and still be in touch with those people as, as, as I still am. So that would be a brilliant legacy. And even from a personal point of view, you know, I, I'm a father of three, that when I engage with my kids, that creating those moments of growth where they either discover, because they are nine, seven, and eight, just over a year, year old. So they're still in that wonderful period where everything is new everything is exciting and everything is a learning opportunity a discovery and growth opportunity and even when i approach my time with them it's it's always when we are creating those grow growth moments growth stories is the one that that i we all enjoy the most and i want to be able to create many more of those stories uh, uh over the over the years it's lovely and and you talk about your one-year-old uh, we're now, Lee and I are now grandparents and our son has a, has a one-year-old and another one due on the way. So we're enjoying the moment when they all come and we've got um, a room full of various bits and pieces for children. It's amazing the amount of stuff you need with a small baby or a small toddler um, and certainly to travel. Uh, no, so I really relate to that. From, from, from legacy to executive teams, and you've been with many high-performing executive teams and 
and ones where you felt a real sense of being in the on your A game, as you described it quite rightly. Um, to get to a time when you're on your A game, you also have to turn around a poor performing and quite toxic team. Often it might be just affected by one person, one man, one woman. Mm-hmm. What if, what's your advice about turning around a toxic team to make a high performing team? I think it's, it's interesting. Current, our current executive team, team I mean, it, it's a brilliant team. We really work together really well. And I feel we have common values and common in, interests, right? Some of the things that we share. And one of the, and it, it wasn't obvious at the beginning because the, the current executive team is being formed in 2019 uh, with few uh, people uh, from the previous exec team and uh, three of us have joined as the new executive team with, under leadership of the new CEO, uh, Alex Whitehouse. But one of the things that he's done is we really invested in that relationship of that team and establishing some ground rules, right? And for me, it really starts with the leader of that team. In, the, in our case, was was Alex, our CEO. And he was upfront with his non-negotiables. And there weren't a huge list, but there were a few, right? And one of them was, look, we operate as one team. When we get together and talk about the business, what always the interest of the entire business is, is on the back of our minds. And it's it really bang on with my integrity value, doing the right thing for the greater good rather than your narrow, narrow interests. But I found myself really at home, breath of fresh air. But I think that that period that we invested, getting together, understanding each other personally, what drives us, what motivates us, what's our profile, you know? What are, what are our triggers? Really understanding that helped us enormously. And to be honest, we were really surprised how quickly we, we gelled. And our conversation is all about how do we further the interest of the business or our people? That's it. There's no other agenda. That, that's a brilliant story on how to sort of build up a, a high-performing team. And, and, and as an adjunct to that, if you do have someone who's toxic in your team, what have you done about that? I think it is, I have a fundamental belief, Jonathan. I've never come across ill-intended people in my career. You might call me, I'm lucky, now, have I not came across people who didn't quite fit in a team or, as we said, created a toxic environment? Yes, I have. But when you dig down, even in my teams that I was leading, when you dig down, I think it all comes down to, if it's not some small things that, that they were pissed off and you talking uh, make it good, but if it's really structural thing that's persistent, persisting, in my experience, it all came down to the mismatch of that individual of the environment. And once you decode that and help them see it, and I've seen many people who've been labeled as toxic in one team, one environment, they go off onto a completely different culture, completely different setting, and they get onto their A game. They become highly respected, 
very high performing, very valued. And that's why now I believe it's really that that's, a, that's an issue or a mismatch. That individual finds himself or herself in a situation where it doesn't play to their strength. And maybe they haven't been able to see that through. And my role as a leader has always been, how do you understand that? How do you coach them, guide them to see it? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've had many examples that I had marketers. I mean, the marketing roles in Premier Foods is really general management roles, end-to-end. It's not specialist comms. There are young uh, leaders would come in. They might have a passion on, let's say, communications part of marketing. And they find they, themselves in an environment, in a job, that 15% of what you do is that. Obviously, you're not going to be happy, right? And obviously, you're, gonna, you're not going to be happy. And it's going to reflect. It's going to be thought as toxic. And how do you find that? open that individual mind up and then guide them through a place where they can add value and be valued. And that toxicity suddenly disappears. That's beautifully put. And it's quite a different take on what others have said. And I like it. And it, and it does fit with really understanding people, what drives and motivates them. And as you say, it's the, it's the, the round peg in the round hole. Is it the right fit? And if it's not, let's find somewhere where you're happy. Yeah. And if you've got a big enough organization, you can move people around, not to get rid of a problem, but find somewhere where they can add real value. It's really good. Last um, few minutes, let's hear, your, you've got three books that you particularly like. Would you mention your three uh, books and the authors? And, uh, and then we'll go into your top tips. So your three books. Absolutely. I think I mean, we talked about Nancy, Nancy Klein. Uh, I'm really jealous. She's a good friend of, of yours. And she's, I think she's, Phenomenal. She has a phenomenal story. And the book that she wrote called The Promise That Will Change uh, Everything. Uh, uh, and the, the promise is, I won't interrupt you, is, has been a really a, a, a huge influence on me uh, recently. So that's one. I think the second one around leadership uh, is uh, the ex-US Navy captain, uh, who was the captain of a nuclear submarine. Uh, and he tells his story about uh, how he got assigned to a submarine, which was at the bottom of the pecking order of the, from a capability and results point of view. And he completely turned it around and made it the top. And the magical thing is he didn't change any of the sailors on that ship, right? So that, the book called Turn the Ship Around and that was because usually when you talk about leadership and high-performing organization, one of the things people say is, yeah, you need to come into a group within the six months. You need to make up your mind who stays, who goes. There might be some, some truth in that. But I found that book magical in the sense that he didn't change a single sailor on that ship, whereas they take it from at the bottom of the rank to the top, which yeah. that book tells that story, which I found fascinating and some of the leadership principles and, and techniques. And the last one, which uh, is a bit of a heavy read actually on neuroscience, it's D Daniel Kahneman's book. He had the Nobel Prize on economics, but he, uh, it, it is the book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And there has been a lot of learning and understanding 
on how people think, make decisions about that cognitive science. And it's actually, as marketeers, some of those we knew all along, right? Uh, but we didn't know why it was working. And now there is a lot more science behind it. And that book I find fascinating yeah. about how people think. And in life, 95% of the decisions we make are emotional rather than rational. Right. And when you go through and it's a really fascinating book that I, I recommend everyone, but it's a bit of a heavy read. No, uh, I, and, and I've enjoyed all three books. So I, I really uh, support that. And also, if you look back on my website, uh, you'll see that um, uh, Captain David Marquet uh, was one of the guests and he he spoke on the podcast. So have a listen to his book. Very, very good. Turn the ship around and leadership as language is his other book, which I, I love. Um, I'm hoping to get Nancy Klein to come on the podcast, but uh, Nancy's very humble and uh, <laughs> often uh, avoids the limelight, but I'll work on uh, asking her one day, maybe she'll come. Um, finally, your two minute top tip um, on what bit of advice you would give to other people. So if you just introduce yourself again once more, Yomaz, and give us your two minute leadership top tip. Yes. Um, hi again, I'm Yilmaz RJS. Uh, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Premier Foods. So my, my two-minute leadership top tip will be about how, as leaders, probably we should manage our energy rather than time. And actually, leadership is very time inefficient, right, when you think about because it involves people. It involves understanding people. But uh, my first tip will really focus on managing your energy rather than your time. And that's what I found helps me be my best self when I'm leading my teams and the, the organization. And, and the second one with that is when interacting with people, being fully present, because it's very easy to get distracted in current modern life. You know, you have, many of us have two mobiles, personal work. There's a lot of things uh, fighting for our attention. But I think that being fully present in the moment with the teams also in your life is 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 when uh, re the real magic happens and when you, you, your effectiveness of leadership uh, has improved. So those will be my top tips. Yilmaz, thank you very much indeed. It's been a great honor having you on and uh, congratulations on your role uh, in marketing at uh, Premier Foods. I wish you every success there and thank you for what you've shared. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.